This is The Law School Show. Discovering the person behind the resume. Bringing you their stories and their tips on how to succeed in your legal career. Catch it all here, right now, on The Law School Show. Hello, and welcome to The Law School Show. My name is Nick Kreiper. Today I'm joined by lawyer Christopher Diebel. Diebel is a former graduate of the Common Law Program at the University of Ottawa. Currently, Mr. Diebel is a lawyer at Nelligans. He specializes in family law and family mediation. I sat down with Diebel to discuss his background, legal career, and the importance of alternative dispute resolution mechanisms in family law. I hope you enjoy. Hello, Chris. Thank you uh, so much for coming on. So welcome, Nick. <laughs> Great. Thanks for, thanks for having me. <laughs> so um, maybe we'll begin by uh, telling me a bit about uh, why you got involved in law and what made you want to go to law school. Sure. Okay. Well, um, I'm a little bit of a, uh, a non-standard story. Uh, law is my second career. I uh, was in the Government of Canada for the first part of my career. I was uh, uh, managing editor and translator uh, in in uh, the Government of Canada. And uh, I guess about uh, 20 years in, I realized that um, I didn't have the right mentality to be part of the board. And uh, I decided I had to had to get out before the tractor beams caught me. And um, so I applied to law school and uh, uh, I got in and I, uh, I quit my government job and I sold my house and I started my life all over again. And uh, I'm beginning to be really glad that I did. Wow, that's really cool. So you went to and you went to the University of Ottawa, correct? Like you decided. That's right. To, uh, yeah, was it just a decision like hometown type of thing? That's that's right. There's no way I can dress that up. I didn't have any money to go anywhere but uh, to University of Ottawa. <laughs> okay. <yeah. laughs> it was conven- It was convenient. I'm a I'm a homebody. I didn't want to leave Ottawa. I had a number of different ties uh, keeping me here anyway. But University of Ottawa was also really good value for the money then, and uh, it was it was affordable. It was still under ten thousand a year for uh, tuition, well under ten thousand a year for tuition uh, back when I joined. And um, they had a very interesting program which caught my eye back in uh, two thousand four when I was looking over the uh, uh, prospectus. Something called a dispute resolution program. Yeah, and that was exactly what I was going to ask you next. So you obviously, as and I'll mention this in the intro, but have uh, have a career that's heavily based on negotiation. And um, U Ottawa was uh, a place where you got to first explore that and 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 develop um, your negotiation skills. So it'd be great to hear a little bit about uh, your experience at U Ottawa and how um, and how that all came to the fore. Yeah, well, um, uh, you have probably experienced this yourself. But the first year you're in law school is really a question about finding your way, what uh, what works for you and what doesn't work for you. And um, one of the things that worked really well for me was the mandatory dispute resolution program. Um, there were, it was a, it was a uh, little bit of a um, uh, trailblazer in uh, law programs in Canada um, because uh, uh, up until then, most universities had stuck to black letter law and teaching us about, you know, Lord Denning and contracts. And um, uh, (laughs) there were a number of professors um, who were uh, very experienced in the field of uh, dispute resolution who convinced then Dean Feltusen that it was time to 
add other dimensions to the law program than black letter law. And uh, they were Jackie Houston and Peggy Malpass and Marina Pavlovich. And uh, Marina is still the coordinator of the dispute resolution. She's my um, option. Wonderful. Tell her yeah. I say hi. Okay. <laughs> she, she and I stay, stay in touch. So uh, yeah, she's, uh, so she's, uh, she's one of the people who helped me realize that um, dispute resolution was my thing. Cool. Yeah. So um, I guess maybe discuss a little bit about um, what you learned in the dispute resolution program. And I know obviously from there, you, uh, you took some more steps at the school. Yeah. So um, uh, let me just uh, think about your question for a second. It was, uh, how did you, how did you phrase it? Could you say it again? Yeah, I guess, I guess what, what I'm trying to ask you is, you yeah. know, what was your experience in dispute resolution? Because I know from there you continued to uh, right. explore like negotiation and these sorts right. of things afterwards. So yeah. it'd be good to know a yeah. little bit about what made you uh, take that next yeah. step. Okay, well, very good. So in uh, in the context of the program at university, after I'd done the mandatory training, which um, back then was, uh, I can't remember if it was one semester or two semesters. I, I think it was two. <clears throat> But um, it was the area where I did uh, where I did best, and I really enjoyed it a lot. Um, and I started having a lot of conversations with the uh, key people uh, running that program, and they were all very positive. And so I went on to take uh, in second year. I took uh, um, uh, mediation with uh, someone who was new to me, uh, and her name was uh, Heidi Rupert, and she ran it with. Uh, uh, another professor or a part-time professor, adjunct professor named Terry McCarthy. And uh, later when I started my career, I realized that they were um, uh, real key people in the dispute resolution world. Heidi Rupert has been like a cornerstone of family law mediation for decades and decades in Ottawa. And Terrence McCarthy also, and he's also a, uh, 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 I believe, a part-time judge in the small claims court. Um so uh, so that was second year. And then in third year, <clears throat> I was really building steam and I took uh, advanced level dispute resolution with uh, Marina Pavlovich. And um, that was um, that was really where I hit my stride. I enjoyed it very, very much and, and really started investigating the uh, compare and contrast kind of uh, uh, scenarios between um uh, the dispute resolution options such as um, um, arbitration and um, court. And so it all started really making sense after you get a sort of critical mass uh, of this uh, um, understanding of dispute res alternate dispute resolution. Yeah. Okay. That's good to know. Yeah. And I know you had mentioned, I, I think this is probably a good, a good thing to bring up now is, you know, a lot of students like for me, I think one of the reasons I, I really wanted to sit down and interview you was because you've had this experience with the law school and with mediation and negotiation, and you've had a, quite a positive experience. It's obviously turned out quite well for you with with, with your job. Um, what are some of the things that you think uh, taking, like, um, let's say, mediation, for example, what's um, what does mediation uh, help you with in your daily career as opposed to doing something like uh, a mooting or going out yeah. and, and maybe working um what am i thinking of the uh yeah, the, the, the simulated court scenarios right exactly yeah. yeah 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 so um what we what we have to remember when we enter practice so I, should, I shouldn't say that as if i knew it but what we uh you know what we learn when we enter practice is that um <clears throat> your court skills are going to be used about 5% of the time because 95% of the time 
disputes, 95% of the time or more, disputes are resolved actually in the courtroom before you're in front of a judge or in lawyer-lawyer discussions and negotiations. And so what I found was, especially in the case of the um, the uh, uh, live scenarios, the simulations which were taught um, uh, by the various professors, but especially those of Jackie Houston, Peggy Malpass, Heidi Rupert, was that <clears throat> you learn how to remove your litigator hat, which is the hat that you wear when you're in the adversarial room, and put on your conciliator hat. And that's the hat you wear, should be wearing, anytime you're not in the litigation room, when you're not in court. And so, and it's a different hat. You have to have a litigator's hat that you wear because we have an adversarial system. You, you, you're civil, but you still have to be adversarial in litigation. That's not the case once you're outside of the courtroom. You are more than civil. You're actually conciliatory. You should be conciliatory if you want to get somewhere. And so learning those skills and how to drop uh, the, the talents and the, and the techniques that make you successful as a litigator, you have to learn to drop that wall in order for the conciliation to happen. Um, I've been pursuing this now for uh, 13 years, and I'm now uh, doing something called a very uh, advanced level training called Insight Mediation, uh, which is a theory of mediation developed by Dr. Cheryl Picard. And um, it takes this concept of, of dropping defensiveness to the nth degree, and, uh, and uh, it posits that if we can get to curiosity instead of defensiveness, we create a zone of settlement. And that's where I am now in my uh, in my mediation practice. I'm not sure if that's the question you answered, but it tells you a little bit about how I'm applying it in my day-to-day, -day, in my day-to-day -day work. So I'm still a very, I'm still a very active litigator. I have uh, an enormous number of um, active litigation files. And anytime they're not in court, I'm pressing my uh, uh, all of my mediation talents, all of my dispute resolution talents, all of my no negotiation skills, and pressing them into into use. I'm, I'm recruiting those those skills and those muscles to drive the case to resolution. And uh, and as I say, the the technique that I've learned most recently is called insight mediation, and it's about being active, about not being defensive, uh, but curious instead. And, and it uh, creates a zone of settlement. Yeah, well, I think that I think that's a good answer. And I think specifically, I was wondering, trying to get the point across is like why students should be interested in this, because I think it's something that really stood out to me in dispute resolution, where I noticed how how frequently, and you you, you touched on this here, how frequently cases do not go to court. I remember the, the first thing that uh, a lawyer had mentioned to me when he just came and introduced uh, introduced himself to me at at, um, at my first uh, law job was he was like, yeah never goes to court. He's like, so one thing he told you about 1L is he's like, you read these court cases all the time, but you're very uh, rarely, if ever, in court. That, that's that's right. Yeah. Yeah. You are going to make such a fool of yourself uh, if you enter uh, uh, any kind of facilitated discussion, but especially a, a facilitated discussion with a mediator and your counsel there representing your client. And if you have not dropped your litigation skills and techniques and, and come to the table with uh, curiosity and interest and conciliation, 
the mediator is going to bring you out of the room and ask if they can have a little discussion with you because it's you can't use the same skill set in mediation as you use in litigation. Yeah. Do you find it hard? Because I know like, so again, most of the time you're sitting there uh, in a mediation and the goal is very much to get along with the other side. Um, do you find it hard to then go into the courtroom and then treat these people who you've been working so hard to get along with yeah. as enemies? Or do you find it's like by that point, by the time you're in the courtroom, you just really want to let them have it? <laughs> yes and yes. Um, so I'm going to tell you a little. I'm going to tell you a little story. So a little bit more about my history. Um, I was uh, I was really interested in language and theater when I was a youngster. And I was uh, an amateur actor for about 10 years. And so I honed that craft of developing a character or a persona and portraying it on stage. And that was something that I had in my, in my toolkit before I even considered becoming a lawyer. And so when I am running a case, there's nothing I'm more comfortable with than changing personality from the assertive uh, litigator to the conciliatory mediator and uh, or negotiator and uh it much to the, i have to say much to the consternation of my uh lawyer friends around me because i had an instance uh just last week actually where <laughs> um a lawyer was so confused about um the the contrast between my demeanor in court and my demeanor in dispute resolution that she spoke to the judge about it. And she said, I, I just am at a loss to un understand what's going on because Mr. Diebel is an absolute delight on the phone, but then he, <laughs> he, he will not relinquish in court. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so that I think was that I took that as I smiled and I took that as a compliment that I'm doing my job for my clients of um, not being a pushover. That's really interesting. Yeah, that's really interesting. How, uh, yeah, it's, it's like that early experience as a kid has ended up helping you uh, as yeah. a lawyer. And I get, and I guess it's, it, yeah, it kind of has to be that way, right? You have to have that separation because at the end of the day, you have to get the best for your client. And I think if uh, if you really don't like the lawyer you're you're going up against, or you really like them, you really have to do your best to put it aside either way and not try to get your emotions uh, running things because that's how you end up uh, yeah, being really irrational, do. right? Yeah, so it's one of the things actually that makes me an effective advocate is that other lawyers are a bit confused that I have uh, two full bore personalities. One is uh, litigation and one is settlement. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, that's true. The other thing I was so, going to ask you about, and one thing it'd be helpful to discuss, we were talking about uh, how we've we've uh, we talked briefly on the phone before this, and I know one thing we had mentioned regarding the shift away from the adversarial system, specifically, you know, you had touched on it um, with you, Ottawa, but as well, it, it's not only that; it's it's also policy. I remember you had mentioned uh, the Divorce Act and how that had changed over time. It'd be great to have you touch on that a little bit. Yeah, yeah, um, sure. That's a, that's a really great question. Thank you. Um, so the Divorce Act. I mean, um, let me talk for just a few seconds about what where divorce has come from. So the divorce um, is, uh, 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 it's something that is, I'm just trying to think of the word and I know you can edit this out, so I'm not gonna worry about it, but uh, <laughs> divorce carries with it all kinds of stigma because of religion and because of gender. Uh, there were gender roles about fallen women. Um, there was an, uh, there were a, a, a gender-based assumptions about property and child rearing. And so the word divorce is so charged 
Um, and so the initial, so it used to be, as you probably know, that in Canada, you couldn't get a divorce without having a private act of parliament. So you actually had to petition uh, a member of parliament to bring, uh, to bring a bill in parliament to get a divorce. So that's how stigmatized divorce was up until around 1968 is my uh, memory. After that, so then we, uh, in Canada, we came to something called a no-fault divorce system. And so we stopped doing in court so much of the character assassination of the other, the, of the other spouse, because prior to 1968, you actually had to prove that the other spouse was, um, uh, was defective or flawed or had wronged, you know, you had to actually, you know, prove uh, concrete things about their character. And that was the benefit of moving to no-fault divorce. So then uh, no-fault divorce, though, what it was observed by um, um, judges like uh, like Walsh in the 1980s that we've really only made one step forward because our courts are still backlogged. And um, he wanted to push the uh, amendments of divorce uh, another uh, step to include uh, requirements uh, for considering out-of-court resolution of divorce because um, he could see that divorce was tearing families apart and it was harming children horribly. That was the beginning of a policy investigation that the government of Canada undertook. Uh, the government of Ontario uh, uh, was also involved uh, on a separate track, I believe, but it, there was a policy dialogue that started in Canada, but uh, with the legislature and Canadian citizens and interest groups about what they thought of changing the Divorce Act. And one of the things that, or the thing that came through most clearly was that the Divorce Act as it's structured is forcing people to be adversarial in court. And it's, and it's that adversarial aspect of it is damaging children. Children are being psychologically damaged. The collateral damage from all of these children going through these adversarial divorces cannot be we can't put a number on uh we can't put a number on it but it has to stop that yeah. policy dialogue continued for about we were on the verge of having the divorce act change in the early 2000s but there was the uh, uh bill died on the order paper and it took until 2019 so it was almost 40 years of policy research before the bill was finally uh finally received royal assent and because of work of so many of my predecessors uh, on the Ontario Association for Family Mediation, there are actually uh, sections now in the Divorce Act which require lawyers to tell their clients, you have got to give consideration to family mediation before coming to court, and you have got to give consideration to collaborative family law before coming to court. It's no longer an excuse to say, you decided against them without thinking about them. You ha you have to be able to have your lawyers say that you have reviewed them, considered them, uh, and possibly even tried them where it's appropriate. So this has been uh, an imp uh, a change. It, sh it should, you know, change is always gradual, but we should start seeing positive effects from this change of forcing people to, to become educated about their out-of-court options. I think a lot of people, when they hear the word divorce, they think, I, I, the only way to get a divorce is through the court. Yeah. Well, the divorce, yes, you can only get a divorce through the court, but everything that involves, uh, that isn't the divorce, because the divorce is just the reversal of the marriage, the, the, everything else, the 
the support, the parenting schedule, the parenting decision-making, um, the, uh, the division of property, the equalization of fa- family property, all of that can happen out of court and people don't know that. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. Uh, if it's all right, we could pivot a bit to uh, to talking a bit more about um, uh, your your career because I want to know a bit about how you um, got, we, t- we talked about how you got interested in, in mediation and these sorts of things, but I'd like to know more about how you got interested in, in family law and specifically family mediation. Absolutely. That's perfect. I was going to say the same thing. That's great. So um, would you like me to just jump in? Sure. Okay, great. So, um, well, the, uh, uh, as my story is that uh, out of law school, I had an offer to go and uh, work at a uh, boutique firm in the West End of Ottawa for about uh, eight, 10 months. And uh, I took that job offer and it was happened to be a boutique firm that had a whole lot of lawyers who were practicing, who had established dispute resolution practices. So there was, uh, there was one lawyer um, whose name was Barb Cohen and She's been um, uh, working as a mediator for, I think, a solid 30 years or so. And there was another mediator, Colin Colin Curry. Her own, that was the only work that she did uh, was uh, family mediation. Um, And then there was a a third mediator, Elizabeth Sterrett, who practiced something that was completely unknown to me at the time called elder mediation. And during the course of my eight months or so there, um, you know, whenever you're in a workplace, you observe the people um, uh, and how they do things and the ones who you like and the ones um, who you don't want to model so much. And those three were the ones who whose work I wanted to model uh, because I, I thought, wow, um, Barb Cohen has this amazing mixture of litigation and dispute resolution. And Colleen Curry has um, this uh, absolutely refined and in tune um, uh, mediation practice. And Elizabeth has uh, has this uh, elder mediation, which seems to be almost a little bit more like psychology than law. And it was so interesting to me. Yeah. What was the what was the elder mediation like? I sorry to interrupt. I'm just interested. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah. So the elder mediation it's um i wrote about it a little bit in a 55 plus um magazine article earlier this year so um elder mediation is um is about family conflict that involves different generations and uh elder mediators use these uh particular skills that they have and that they're trained in to de-escalate the emotions between family members who are involved in these disputes um, so uh, elder mediators usually have these um, highly developed people skills that are acute listening and inclusive language and respectful language. Um, and elder mediation, elder uh, disputes often are not as legalistic as, say, a, a, um, a divorce. They're often more about uh, uh, dealing with uh, emotions about uh, changing stages of life and uh, coming to grips with loss and some of the overlapping issues like property. Um, or for example, where, where's the older, where's the um, older parent going to live as they transition into a need for um, el- elder care or uh, 
you know, um, some kind of uh, assisted uh, assisted living situation. In families that have these things going on, siblings have different opinions about what should happen. Parents and siblings have different opinions about what should happen. Families and health providers have different opinions about what's what needs to happen. And they're all linked to interpersonal con- uh, conflict and quality of life. So elder mediators bring all of these factors together in this amazing brew, and they help people find their way out of the, uh, out of the uh, confusion and, and work out solutions for these uh, end of life and ch- changing phases of life uh, that are associated with, uh, with growing old. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So it was something that I had not even cast my mind to when I was in law school. So, uh, so it's got this sort of really human dimension to it. And I watched uh, one of my colleagues um, uh, practicing in this area and uh, it was very, very interesting to me. And um, so uh, it wasn't long before I realized that I, uh, wanted to become a mediator, but I was not sure of all that was involved. And um, uh, I turned to uh, Colleen Curry and she uh, agreed to supervise me for the required two-year apprenticeship to become accredited as a family a law mediator. Um, and so uh, so that, that went forward uh, between 2015 and 2017, and then I uh, earned my accreditation. And um, then uh, shortly after that, I volunteered to uh, for the executive of the Ottawa chapter of the Ontario Association for Family Mediation and became involved in uh, all of the real uh, life um, problems of getting the mediation profession known to the consumer because the consumer has to know that it's there before they come to come to get us. And I think that there's a real disconnect. Like people think, people think divorce, I'm going to need a lawyer, but people rarely think divorce, I'm going to need a mediator. And so there's this, there's this public public relations job that I have to do of letting people know that you don't necessarily need a lawyer to separate. You can do it other ways. And that's kind of what the association does. Cause that was a question I wanted to ask you about, cause I saw that yeah. on, on your profile. Yeah. So is, is a lot of just honestly, like just public outreach and just letting people know that, yeah, like, you know, there's more to this than just simply getting a lawyer. You need to look at the the options to solve these these situations. Yeah, because the the, the uh, not everybody is in a high pitched conflict, and if you're not in a high pitched conflict, it might be appropriate for you to um, write your own deal. If you're not in a high pitched conflict, it might be appropriate for you to have uh, a mediator help you. If you're in a conflict which is um, simmering, but not, uh, not corrosive, it might be helpful to have a lawyer and a mediator. Um, and so people need to have a source that they can turn to, to educate themselves on how to best match the most cost-effective solution to their facts. And there isn't a resource for that. And that's what I've been trying to do for the last five years. Yeah. So what kind of outreach do you guys do? So I, um, you'll see on the uh, uh, chapter website, I did outreach with um, the uh, Federal Minister of Justice because I really wanted to capitalize on the synergies of the uh, Divorce Act being amended to include mediation as a dispute resolution option. 
Um, and so I uh, created a number of uh, public relations opportunities involving the Federal Minister of Justice back in 2019. Um, I speak to local uh, press, um, Rogers Media, uh, CTV Media, about, um, about mediation and uh, other aspects of law and dispute resolution. I'm now on the Provincial Board of Directors of the Ontario Association for Family Mediation. And um, uh, that is another opportunity for me to, uh, to get the word out uh, about the value of alternate dispute resolution for people in family disputes and uh, intergenerational disputes. What else can I tell you here? I've got something else. So one of the ways that the uh, Ontario Association for Family Mediation helps the lawyers who are in the practice of family law is we provide um, a website which allows lawyers to say, okay, so I need a resource on my file and my resource could be someone who can figure out equalization of net family properties, for example. In that case, I need a, a qualified financial mediator. My resource could be someone who deals with alienation of a child. In that case, I need a mediator who is experienced in family reunification. My file could involve uh, uh, child sex abuse. In that case, I need a mediator who is also qualified in child protection. And so what I have done is created a website of the accredited mediators in Ottawa and all of their subspecialties so that lawyers can find the mediator who has the subspecialty that they can pull in for their particular file. Okay, that yeah, that's cool. So it, it also works as a, a, excuse me, also works as a directory because people can exactly. go... Uh, you know, if they're looking for the right mediator, they can go and find them. That's exactly what it is. It's a dressed up directory with all of the um, top level to bottom level drill down information that a consumer is going to need for each individual accredited mediator in Ottawa. How long did it take you to, to put that all together? Four years. Four years. Well, it is, I, well I guess it's an ongoing process as well because you have to continue yeah. to, to update yeah. the websites and stuff yeah. like that. But to get, to, the, to get from the point where I had a mandate from the membership to embark on it, and to the point where I launched the product was four years. And so the product has just been launched and it's a real game changer for the Ottawa chapter. In fact, uh, I'm going to uh, sing my own praises here. It is the, because I have a background in translation, this website is the first bilingual website of the Ontario Association for Family Mediation anywhere in the province. Wow, very cool. Yeah, yeah thumbs up for <laughs> the people who can't see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's good, though. though. That's, that's great. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. That's really exciting. Thank you. Yeah, it was really important for me. Um, as I was joking about, you know, not being suited to the uh, government of Canada before, but uh, there are a lot of um, things that um, that uh, were very important to me, and that was, one of them was inclusivity of uh, of the uh, official languages for uh, Ontario consumers. Yeah, no, it's really great. The next one I wanted to ask you about. This is actually I'm really excited to ask this question because uh, I it had been discussed a bit in dispute resolution um, uh, for me in January and. It's something that uh, 
uh, really caught my attention was we had a, a mediator come in and he discussed a bit about, he talked a bit about remote mediation and talked about how increasingly things are being done over platforms like this, like over Zoom. I thought it was really interesting because he mentioned that he found that it uh, helped significantly with the amount of um, uh, resolutions that had been resolved um, since he had since he had made that switch, um, and he found that both sides were were much more cordial and and uh, everything was much more effective. So it'd be really cool to hear. I, I know you have some experience with it. Um, your take on uh, remote mediation? Yeah. Well, thank you very much. So um, a little bit of background around twenty. Uh, I think it was uh, the fall of 2020, um, the uh, Ontario Association for Family Mediation realized that COVID was a game changer and they brought out a program called, a certificate called Online Dispute Resolution Specialist and people who were accredited mediators could add to their credentials this specialization certificate called Online Dispute Resolution. Um, so that was a very interesting program. One of the things that we have to do as mediators is we have to screen clients for um, uh, uh, something called either domestic violence or interpart, in, uh, excuse me, intimate partner violence. These are both the same thing going under different names. And we use something called uh, MASIC, uh, and it's a mediator's matrix of questions um, that put on a scale whether or not there's a risk of intimate partner violence on the um, uh, on the mediation that we're thinking of proceeding to. Um, so we have to do this formal screening for intimate partner violence, the risk of inter- intimate partner violence. Um, and one of the things that I find um, challenging about um, doing that online is uh, that I can't quite get the same level of um, subtextual feedback as I get when I'm in person. And so it's just a little bit harder to read the things like um, eye eye twitches and, you know, the things that we often... Body uh, language. uh, Body language, the the things that we uh, observe in witnesses. And so um, uh, that said, uh, when we move to joint session, um, I do find that the clients really appreciate being able to um, mediate virtually rather than having to both travel to, uh, you know, an office. Um, They appreciate that they're in their zone of comfort. And, you know, it makes sense when you think about what you have to do in uh, a mediation is you have to get both people into a zone of settlement in order for the discussion to happen and brainstorm what what kind of outcomes are going to work for both of them. So it makes sense that if they're in a place that's physically comfortable for them, they're going to get to that um, zone of settlement sooner than they would if they were in a foreign environment. Um, that's been my observation so far. So um, that kind of um, reflects the experience also as a litigator. Uh, I think it's a little bit unfortunate that we're moving back to, to in-court appearances. Uh, one of the good things about COVID was the uh, rationalization of court time and the uh, scheduling of uh, people into um, dedicated blocks of time on Zoom for court, court appearances that increased the efficiency of court 
um, met, uh, you know, many, many times over, um, and it decreased the costs of attending court many, many times over. Um, so uh, the the uh, efficiencies of time and cost are going to be lost by moving back to in court, uh, you know, a return to in court appearances. So um, is it required? Uh, is there no online mechanism for for the courtroom? The there there is a mixture. So the, the there's uh, generally speaking. Uh, different di- different jurisdictions are moving back to um, in-person uh, court appearances for certain types of appearance, um, and so uh, you know, some some appearances will continue to be by Zoom, others will not be, and that varies by jurisdiction. So it's going to become a real patchwork. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. and so yeah, yeah. Th- that's that's a really good point you mentioned with the body language. Yeah, because. You know, thing is online, you can, you know, I can see you now, I can see yeah. your movements and your facial expressions, but it, it is, there is something about it being one-on-one where you can really see someone and look them in the eyes directly, where you can yeah. get a very good sense of, of what someone's telling you, the honesty yeah. or, or what they're feeling. And yeah, it must be so different over the internet when you're trying to gauge yeah. something, especially something like intimate partner violence, which is, yeah. you know, enormously serious. And, yeah. you know, sure. you don't know what they're feeling on the other end. You're absolutely right, Nick. So the one of the things um, about being a mediator is that most mediators, most good mediators are empaths. So we have a natural connection to other people's unspoken feelings. And, and uh, so we are sensing what's going on with someone without them verbalizing it. Um, and that's just a shade harder to do when you're not in the same room. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Um, well, listen, I, I'm trying to I'm looking through my questions now. I don't think I have anything else for you. Um, so I, I think I should should um, say my thanks very much for for you coming on today. Um, it was great talking to you and, and getting your perspective on mediation and and obviously um, all your your experience and your history with it. It's it's been really cool to listen to. Thank you very much, Nick. I really appreciated uh, the chance to speak with you. This has been uh, this has been really great, and I uh, I also uh, want to thank you for the questions that you put together. There uh, they were really good. So uh, uh, thanks a lot for that. Great. Thank you very much. You've just been listening to The Law School Show. You can find more episodes on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and now on Spotify, or on our website at thelawschoolshow.com. If you liked what you heard, like us again on Facebook, or follow us on Twitter for the latest updates. Human stories, new legal topics, and career-advancing advice right to your earbuds. Catch it all here, next time on The Law School Show.